Shut up and sit down. Listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast, bringing you this sports show. The fate of some teams have already been decided in the NBA playoffs. We'll get into that and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 64 of The Bridge. (laughs) Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge, coming to you live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world. That's right, The Bridge is live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, though the show is technically pre-recorded. If you do miss the live show, the podcast version of The Bridge is available 48 hours after the initial broadcast, which means you can find the newest episode on iTunes or on my website at londonbridge.com on Friday nights. I'll save all the ways you can listen to The Bridge and where you can find the show until the end of this latest installment. If anything, you can call in or text in to the show 24-7 at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. All right, let's get into the fun stuff. Give me the siren. It's not always easy for a member of the sports media to have to address athletes in the post-game press conference, especially after a loss. Answers can often be short or terse, and there's always the fear that an athlete might lash out at the media for a question that was asked. However, the old adage that there's no such thing as a stupid question can sometimes be disproved. This past week, two athletes, in a way, did just that. It's time for the number one news anchor parody segment in sports radio. Here's this week's edition of Sports News Read Like Real News. The post-game press conference for a losing team can produce more carnage than gladiatorial combat once fit for the Coliseum. Reporters need content for their fast-approaching deadlines, while athletes sit fuming after a defeat, ready to lash out at whatever they might deem a waste of their time. Angry exchanges between the media and the athletes that they're paid to cover have been commonplace for decades. Sometimes athletes are the culprits of making an ill-advised rude remark while other instances center around the media poking the bear with a question or a quip that might have been better left unsaid. Though the NBA playoffs are still in the opening round, two examples of tense back and forth between athlete and media have already reared its savage head. 
The first came from Russell Westbrook and the Oklahoman columnist Barry Trammell, a person that probably does not receive any Christmas cards from Mr. Westbrook. You might remember Trammell for what he was associated with in 2014, when the Oklahoman ran his column chronicling Kevin Durant against the defense of Tony Allen and the rest of the Memphis Grizzlies with the headline, Mr. Unreliable. Regarding the headline, Westbrook was quoted as saying, That's BS in my eyes. The following season, Westbrook had this to say to Trammell post-game while not seemingly in the mood to chat. Down the stretch, you and Serge seem to be in a really great rhythm. Uh, what allowed you guys to be so successful? Mm, did a good job of execution. You know, so that, that, the, first, the first stretch Nick was talking about, the 15-2 run, we went with a, a small lineup with five really good offensive players on the court, what does, it, what does it do for your offense when everybody out there is really accomplished as an offensive player? It's good. Rush, you had eight assists in the fourth quarter. What did you see from them defensively that allowed you to focus as much as you did on passing the rock? Oh, we did a good job executing. Now, are you upset with something? Mm-hmm. I just don't like you. You don't? No. Do you not like Nick either? I love Nick. I don't like you. Well, you gave us about the same answers. Yeah. You got another question? You played a great game, one of your better ones. Is this one, in terms of production, assists, rebounds, points, is this one of the better games you can think of in your in your career? Good execution. Seemed like you guys played with a real good sense of urgency tonight. Has, has that been lock, lacking in the past? Uh, we did a good job executing tonight. After the Thunder lost to the Houston Rockets in Game 4 to fall behind 3-1 in the series, Trammell was back at the microphone with a legitimate question to Steven Adams regarding the team's poor play when Westbrook goes to the bench. Russ, however, would have none of that, and instead of Trammell using Westbrook's quote as the story, he would become the story instead. Steven, second time in three games, uh, you guys really struggled when Russell went to the bench. You were out there for part of that. What goes on when he goes to the bench? Why is Houston so successful? And, and do you sense that, that they sort of get an energy boost just from him going out of the game? Hold on, Steven. <clears throat> I don't want nobody to try to split us up. We all one team. Regardless, if I go to the bench, if Steven's on the floor, if I'm off the floor, we in this together. Don't split us up. Don't try to split us up. Don't try to make us go against each other. Try to make it against Russell and the rest of the guys. Russell against Houston. I don't. I don't want to hear that. We in this together. We playing as a team, and that's all that matters. That's it. Yeah, Russell. I'm not trying to split you up, but twice in three games, you guys have not played well at all. When you've gone to the bench, that's fine. We, say, and I'm just say, trying to figure out what's going say, on. Russell, you ain't played well at all. Say Russell and the team is, haven't played well. Don't say. When Russell goes out, the team don't play well. It don't matter. We in this together. That may that may be Russell, but I asked Stephen a question, well, and it's, it's a legitimate. Me and you. Next question. It's a legitimate question. Next question. Next question. Well, Next question. No, I think we'll keep the microphone. I had a question for Ste- I had a question for Stephen, and it wasn't answered. And I don't understand if Steven wants to say he still hasn't said anything. If he wants to say I don't want to answer that, fine. But Next question, please. 
Days later, Chris Paul valiantly fell short in an attempt to lead his Clippers over the Utah Jazz in Game 5, meaning that the Clips have two must-win games ahead of them just to reach the second round. The question is, did CP3 think the Clippers would make it back to L.A. for Game 7? One reporter tried to find out. Chris, uh, will the Clippers be back here Sunday playing the Game 7? What? <laughs> your feeling about, you know, your level of confidence that you'll be back here again. What you think? For... I'm on the team. What you want me to say? No, nah, it's over. I, just, I mean, that's what you want to hear? Yes. That's... Come on, man. You've been doing this long enough. Seriously, right? You can expand upon that. No, I don't know. Everybody in here laughing for a reason. I'm John Lund for Sports News, read like real news. Let's take a quick break to practice asking questions. When we come back, we'll talk to an NBA writer about covering the sport and run down all things NBA playoffs. We'll be right back on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. As you heard earlier in the show, you can call in or text in to the bridge anytime at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Leave a voicemail or text your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of the bridge. Just like this anonymous texter who tweeted this week, Mazel tov, 15 exclamation points or so. I'm absolutely high, six or seven exclamation points. Made my day, two exclamation points, all written in caps. I'm not quite sure what that's in reference to, but mazel tov to you as well, sir or madam. Now we do like to pose a question each show to help give you the urge to call in or text in to the bridge just like that. This week, we want to know, are the Cleveland Cavaliers and Golden State Warriors on a collision course to meet in the NBA Finals for the third consecutive year? Now, a couple of housekeeping items before we get into this week's guest. I had planned to bring back a staple segment to the bridge, at least during the NFL season this year, of wait, who? And tell you a little bit about the current home run leader in Major League Baseball, In lieu of that, I wanted to make some quick comments regarding the recent layoffs at ESPN. As you know, this show does air live on Wednesday night. It is recorded on Wednesday, and Wednesday of this week, April 26th, it was announced that ESPN would be laying off more than 100 of its employees, both in front of the scenes and behind the scenes. And many of those layoffs were seen throughout Twitter with former employees tweeting out that they had been let go, that they're looking forward to the next opportunity, whatever might lie in store for them. And many seem to take the high road from it. As some of you may know or could tell, this show is pre-recorded and scripted in a way. I write a lot of the segments beforehand. There's not many times where I just comment on the sports world or what's going on within it. Aside from some instances during interviews with weekly guests, a lot of the stuff that you hear has been pre-thought out. 
But after going through Twitter today and seeing a lot of familiar names, whether they be reporters or radio folks or television people that were let go by ESPN, I just found it necessary to offer a quick thought that if you are a fan of their work and have seen that they were let go, to reach out to them with a brief tweet or a brief email or a brief message, just letting them know that you're a fan, that you appreciate their work and that whatever their next path may be will work out. This is an incredibly tough business just to make it into, and as you can probably tell, I've yet to do so. A small majority of you that are listening are probably close family or friends or are tuned in to hear the guest that I might have on each week and not necessarily hear from me. And as some of you also know, I've been lucky enough to have several different ESPN media as guests on the bridge. And while those names haven't popped up today, who knows what names might pop up in the future and who knows what future guests might also be on that list as well. So I obviously can't say that I've made it in this industry quite yet, but am aiming toward that goal. And to see this happen today was in a way just a little bit heartbreaking because many of the people that were let go, if not all, are much better at what they do than what I'm currently doing now. And as someone aspiring to one day get into a position that they just held, it's difficult to see that what you work hard for and hard at can be taken away that quickly. So as I said, to those that you may appreciate and like their work, even those that you don't necessarily care for, you might not like their opinions, or you might not like what they have to say, or you might not appreciate their workload or what they produce, but you also have to think of the bigger picture, that not only are they losing their job, but someone's father or mother is losing their job, someone's husband or wife is losing their job. People that might rely on that job now have to scramble and find somewhere else to find that reliance. There's so many more people that are affected from just the one person that was let go, co-workers included, everyone that surrounds that person in a way will be affected. So if you do have the time to let them know that you appreciate what they do, something better will come to give them a sense that what they're doing is worthwhile because on a day like today, it probably feels like that's not the case. Now, that wasn't the greatest way to segue into this week's guest, but we will try our best to make the transition as painless as possible. We had the pleasure of chatting with Jabari Davis, who is an NBA writer and hoops fan, to say the least. He's written for several different sources throughout the years and also lives in Los Angeles, so has a pretty strong idea of what's going on in that major market as well as the rest of the NBA. So we talked a little bit about what he does as an NBA writer before getting into a little rundown of the playoffs up to this point in the NBA. Before then, looking ahead to what we might see in the future and the two teams we most likely will see in the NBA Finals. You can follow him on Twitter. He's at Jabari Davis MBA. That's J A B A R I D A V I S MBA. And without further ado, let's get into that interview. 
We're here with Jabari Davis. He is an NBA writer and hoops fan, to say the least. Jabari, thanks for joining the show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks a lot for having me, John. I appreciate the invitation. Not a problem. We've been talking about this for a while to talk about perhaps the Los Angeles Lakers. And now that I have you, I guess we'll have to do that along the way here. But I wanted to turn back the clocks a little bit to get started. What made you decide to pursue writing about the NBA and where did you get started en route to that? Oh, well, that, that's always an interesting one because I have no formal background, no training or anything of that nature. I was just that guy that every time you talked to me, I was going to talk your ear off about the NBA. It was just going to happen. So finally, someone said, you know, and I think they were being nice, basically meaning like, I don't want to hear you talk about it anymore. Why don't you go bother other people with it? But they recommended, why don't you start a blog? Now, I'm a little bit older, so... I had no idea about anything when it came to blogging, you know, uh, dealing with, you know, like starting one, how to run it, you know, what, I didn't even know how, you know, I knew I had very passionate opinions, but I didn't even know how to write, you know? So I started Real Talk on Sports about six years ago now. Um, it, it, it was a you know, short-lived, you know, I, think I, I think it lasted for about a year and a half, but it led to the right person seeing one of my articles. Uh, and it is actually, actually Rob Littall from Black Sports Online gave me an opportunity. He said, hey, I can't pay you anything, but you know, if you're interested in doing a weekly, uh, a weekly NBA power rankings for me, you know, I'll, I'll support it and you know, I'll post it and you know, get you out there. So basically, I started with that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for, the, you know, for that opportunity. That led to an internship, quote-unquote, uh, basically free writing for, you know, for Lakers Nation. Um, and, and that was awesome. Um, and and it, it was just one step after another. But I just worked my way up from Lakers Nation to SheridanHoops.com. And then after after I did a, a bit of work with them, and as well as excuse me, as, as well as producing their podcast, uh, HoopsWorld.com and USA Today came you know came became available. So it, it, it's been a you know as as has been the case with many of us that you know cover the league or at least attempt to cover the league. It's just been a step by step process. Uh, but it really just started because people were tired of hearing me yap. Well, hopefully they don't get tired now, but I am enjoying myself thus far, so I think we're on the right track. Would you say that was the biggest challenge that you faced, was finding your voice as a writer, not having done it previously? That was one of them. Another one was, to be quite honest, I'm <laughs> I'm not really that much of an extrovert. So, you know, once it became time to go into locker rooms, then I was faced with, Oh yeah, wait. How do I do this now? <laughs> you know. So thankfully, I had some players that were really nice in the early going, and some other guys, you know, some journalists, you know, actual journalists that were really nice. And and, and uh, Eric Pinkles was one of them. Um, uh, I'm sure you've heard of him. Uh, and, and 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 Alex Kennedy, Daniel Berge, a few guys basically showed me the ropes. Said, hey, you know, kind of kind of stick with me, and you know, like like you know, here we are five years later, six years later, and. Uh, it definitely worked. It definitely worked out. I was going to say it must help in general, just if you get under the right umbrella per se of the NBA media culture, whether that's in person or on social media, like the Twitter NBA world, they seem to be very open with helping writers, helping new people along and just really being a big family, if you will. And you don't necessarily get that in say the NFL or the MLB. Did you notice that in the early going that it was just a lot easier to sort of get acclimated with everyone? 
absolutely. And, and one of the reasons is they, they appreciate somebody that's just starting the grind that they've, you know, that they've been on or the journey that they've been on for the past however long, you know. Um, I, I've, I've, I've always worked, you know, as, as well as covering the league. So they understood. Like when they saw me running in, running into the locker room at 6 p.m., uh, looking as though I just came from work, they understand. They, I guess maybe they appreciated that. But no, honestly, they've been just about everybody has been very, uh, you know, helpful. Uh, at the very least, you know, very kind along the way. You've done some work with basketball insiders, of course, and we're a moderator of sorts for a weekly NBA chat segment where you answer fan-submitted questions. You were also one of the writers behind The Shop, which is a virtual <laughs> barbershop conversation. How would you describe your role for each of those and maybe how much fun it was to get to interact with NBA fans and colleagues, respectively? Uh, well, and I'm not saying this just for a fact, but... The chats were actually my very favorite part because really at the end of the day, I'm a basketball nerd, just like everybody else out there. All I want to do is talk about the game. So getting, so even if, you know, even if, even if the fans didn't agree with me, I appreciated their perspective. So that was one of my favorite parts. And I, and I appreciate you mentioning the shop because that was definitely a step away from a, the more traditional style, you know, like, you know, you know true AP journalism. It, it, it was, as you mentioned it, a virtual barbershop conversation. So while we were, you know, while, you know, myself and Lang and sometimes we had guests, while we would you know, have an open conversation about the NBA and obviously, you know, do our best, you know, do, you know support it with different facts and, and, and statistics, it was really, uh, it, it was really just a, just open forum. Uh, and, you know, and, and, and like I said, far less formal. So I, I definitely enjoyed that. Uh, here moving forward, going into next season, to be honest with you, I may have to bring that back. You know, we, we, we stopped it uh, once the playoffs came around, but I may have to go ahead and bring that back because we actually got a ton of good feedback about it, and uh, folks seem to enjoy it. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of fun, and it's a different way of going about the typical reading that you end up getting from all sorts of sources. So whenever you can separate yourself, everybody seems to appreciate that. You mentioned running into the locker room after work, and we're speaking after you get out of work as well. What do you do as far as what a full-time gig would be when you're not writing about the NBA? For the first four years, I was still working with youth probation minors out here, uh, uh, working as a base just like everybody else, a facility manager at, at a at a large at a large uh, rehabilitation center, and I I did that. So, you know, the, the the attire was pretty much the same, whether you know business casual. So I would be able to just transition right into the locker room. Now I'm a data analyst. Uh, without getting into details, I uh, I am in a data analyst for a media company. Uh, yeah, but it, but it's still the same. And we can talk hoops on the side. Nothing wrong with that. Before we hit on the NBA playoffs, I thought I'd throw some topical things at you first. You've said in the past that the 80s were the golden age of basketball and a time period that you're a big fan of. What do you think sets that era apart from the others and makes you enjoy it that much more? You know, a lot of people here would give you a canned answer. My honest answer is I grew up watching it. That's, like, individuals that grew up watching basketball in the 90s, they probably enjoyed the 90s you know, the most. And, you know, just like the 2000s and obviously the 10s and so on and so forth. I was fortunate enough, born in 79, uh, started watching basketball at a very early age and to the, to the point where 
I always tell people, like, in my family, you were going to be a basketball fan. I, you know, I, I was watching games at two and three and four and five. You know, but at the same time, I was able to also enjoy the tail end of Magic's career. I saw all of Michael's career uh, and, and, and obviously everybody that's followed. Uh, so for me, the reason why I appreciate it so much beyond it being the, you know, beyond it being the, the era that I grew up watching is I, I, I guess I just love those storylines, the Lakers and the Celtics and the, the Pistons and the Lakers and the old cat, you know, the, uh, you know, Cavs and, and Pistons, you know, the showdowns and all of those old, you know, back when everybody kind of hated each other. You know, of course they were appreciated and respected one another, but when they were out there on the court, you know, you, you definitely saw uh, a heightened sense of, you know, competitive, you know, of, of, uh, I guess, competitive nature. Um, so, you know, for me, uh, when I say that, I don't say it like, you know, like some of these old guys that are like, oh, well, you know, these young guys, they can't play. No, I appreciate, you know, how the game has evolved along the way. I definitely appreciate how players in general, and you know, from a physical standpoint, have continued to evolve. I wasn't, I'll admit, I wasn't the, the biggest fan of all the three-point shooting a few years back, but just like everything else, uh, you adjust and you learn to appreciate it. So uh, while the 80s may be my favorite, I, I still definitely understand why folks love the game that is currently being played. As far as the changes go from that era, and you might have just hit on an answer for this, is there a difference whether that might be a positive or a negative one that sticks out to you compared to today's league, something that might not be there that was or vice versa? You want to know the truth? The thing that I dislike the most has less to do with the players and more to do with the league. I dislike how hypersensitive they are. Every time somebody, you know, fouls somebody, you know, with a little bit of um. Uh, you know, it's, oh, my goodness, is it a plague or two? And should they get kicked out? And, look, I grew up, I, I watched the game where, where Kurt Rambis got clotheslined, and it was just a common foul. You know, it, it, from, the, from the air, I'm sure anybody that's a, that's a fan of the game, they know this play. He's playing against the Celtics. It's a playoff game. He gets clotheslined, falls into, you know, like, uh, I think James Worthy, in order to stop him from going and fighting, he pushes him down after he gets up, and then goes and it goes after Larry Bird. You know, I, I grew up watching that. So not that I necessarily want to see everybody out there duking it out. I just would like it if they weren't so, and I'm not, again, this is not on the players. If the league, you know, were not so uh, hellbent, uh, and forgive me if you can't use that term on your show, but if they weren't so hellbent on, you know, uh, cleansing everything. When it comes to that era, I believe I'd be correct in saying if you had to pick a favorite player, it wouldn't be MJ, but a certain other MJ, as in Magic Johnson? Yes, uh, you're exactly right. Now, I, I've had this debate a million times, but if I were choosing one player to start a franchise with from the history of the game, now again, I always preface this with, this is just my opinion. I, like A lot of people, they go like, no, this is a fact. No, 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 no. This is just my opinion. I would, I would choose Magic Johnson because I believe that he encapsulated everything that you can have and it, it, in terms of being a, the most team-oriented player, but also an all-time great in terms of his actual skills. Uh, that combination, I, to be honest with you, I've never seen it before. Like To, to the degree that he had, the ability to truly elevate everyone else's game and at the same time, if needed, you know, uh, you know, fill in, uh, you know, fill in, uh, fill in as that scorer, as that closer, as whatever you need. 
you know, I, I, a lot of folks, you know, and, and right, justifiably so, we give Russell Westwood credit and these guys credit for all the things that they're doing and the fact that they triple doubles and all of that. But if you go back and you actually, so for the, for the stat geeks out here, if you go back and you, and you really want to appreciate some stats, look at Magic Johnson's career arc. Now, obviously, it was cut short by you know because of, you know his contraction of HIV. Uh, but yeah, you know, there's not a down year in there. Every single year was pretty phenomenal, and plenty and, and several years he was on the verge of averaging you know pretty much triple double numbers prior to it even being you know you know so much of a thing. Well, I would be remiss, as I mentioned, if we didn't at least briefly touch on Magic Johnson's now Los Angeles Lakers. We went from some early on excitement when the team strung together a couple of wins to start the season to sort of a please lose the rest of your games toward the end. It'll be another year where Lakers fans have to perform sacrifices with the hopes that ping pong balls will bounce in the right direction with the lottery. But what were your thoughts on how this season ended up playing out this year, especially toward the end when we saw some sparks or some hope of what the future might be? So, uh, if again, I'm an honest person, so I'll tell, you, I'll tell you my first thoughts were, what are you guys doing? <laughs> what is going on? Now, that's, that, look, I don't blame players. Players don't take. A lot of times, you know, fans, you know, like, and, and, and I include myself because we're all fans of the game. You know, fans will get you know, the misconception that, hey, look, this is best for the team and blah, 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 the organization, and they should just accept it. No, not at all. Players don't tank. Players are out there. They're professional. They love playing. They love competing, and that's why they play. Yes, the fame and the money and all of that and all of the extracurriculars, that's fun, but, you know, at, at the base of it, they love to compete. They, you know, they, they, they want to show. So I don't fault them. I will say it was just ironic that you know, they start off the season 10 and 10, they hit the fan and, you know, they, they went through some early injuries and, and things really just went downhill. So that middle 50 game stretch was pretty brutal. They, they, uh, you know, they, they, were, they were something like, yeah, you know, I don't even want to, it's something like 10 and, and 40 during that stretch. It, 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 it maybe it may have been a little bit better, but it wasn't much if, if that. Um, and then you, it, it, it just, uh, at the end of the year, they were able to finally put some things together. Now, some of that was circumstantial, but some of it was also because it was also great to see the progress that those young players have shown. A lot of folks went into the season, and I know that I'm, I know this is a, a bit of a, a long, long-winded answer, but I, I, I'll pay it off. A lot of folks went into the season with unrealistic expectations, especially given the fact that, that not only were there so many moving parts, there were so many new parts, new young players that were you know, figuring out how to play in the NBA, let alone how to play together. Uh, the fact that they were able to, you know, go on that, you know, they won something like five out of six down the stretch. Uh, you know, you don't want to put too much on it, but it does, it does at least point to some progress from those guys. When it comes to the future, both short term and long term, we could even look bigger picture at who is now in charge of what goes on with Magic Johnson coming in, as we mentioned, Luke Walton now as the head coach. We obviously know that he's a little bit innovative when it comes to coaching, having been under Steve Kerr and being a former two-time NBA champion, I believe is the number two or three with the Los Angeles Lakers. So I'm sure he could flash those rings to the guys if he needs to get them motivated. 
but they've been able to keep this young core that they've been building over the past couple years within the draft and then with some moves. They obviously lost Lou Williams as, as their biggest guy off the bench, now playing now with the Rockets, but you were okay with that. And when Meta World Peace decides to leave, you'll be okay with that. It's really now about sort of keeping that young core. Do you think that that's the direction they're going to go in and maybe wait for big-name players to become free agents so that they don't have to lose those core players to go out and trade for them with the fear that those players might end up leaving after a year or two. I think that's definitely one of the, you know, one of the directions they could go, but I also think it, I, I, I really think it's the fallback. And what I mean by that is I think if somebody becomes available, somebody actually becomes available, they're not going to, they're not going to sell the farm, you know, for, you know, for them, but I would not be surprised to see them make a move this summer to make you know, several moves even if, if the right ones were to become available. But again, like, you know, it, 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 it's a nice situation to be in. And I know people will be like, yeah, right. You know, you're in the lottery four years in a row. What I mean by that is to at least, you know, like, even if the, even if the deals do not materialize, as you mentioned, they've got a nice young core. The cupboard is not bared. In fact, you know, while, you know, fans around here in Los Angeles may be frustrated, uh, that's sometimes because you don't always see the forest beyond the trees when you're right there in the thick of it. Uh, uh, I personally, and I've gone on record and said this several times, but I think, I think Brandon Ingram is the best player on this team. Now, obviously, D'Angelo, uh, D'Angelo Russell probably put up the best numbers this year and, and definitely has potential to continue to improve. But when I look at this roster, uh, I know a lot of the folks that didn't watch them on a day-to-day, you know, game-in, game-out basis didn't necessarily see this. But Brandon Ingram showed me, you know, showed me true signs this, you know, this year all throughout the all throughout the season, especially over the last two months of the year. I think he's going to be he's going to be one of the you know better perimeter or I guess wing, swing men that this league is going to see in about four years. Well, we don't want to get non-Lakers people angry with us, so we better get to the NBA playoffs in general. Let me start with this: Do you think the commissioner, Mister Adam Silver? Should go back to those days when the opening round was a best of five series. Uh, it, 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 okay, so two answers to that. Probably, but it'll never happen. That money that you know that, that money that those owners are now making on having uh, you know at least one more game that tastes real good to them. <laughs> and anytime, look, anytime it comes to you know cutting in cutting the money away from the owners, which obviously would then cut it from the players. That's when I think those conversations probably hit a, you know, hit a wall. Would the best compromise to that potentially be if a team goes up 3-0, the series ends, but if the team that's trailing wins any game in between that, just wins one before a team gets to three, they play the whole series out. That's, I guess, meeting in the middle, if you could look at it that way. You, you know something, even though I still don't think they would do it because it's still taking away a game, that's actually not a terrible idea. That's a great idea. I, you know, look, I'm, I'm all for extra basketball, but look, if a team is down 3-0, it's not going to happen. Now, yes, I know everybody can say, hey, it, 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 no team had ever come back from a 3-1 league. I understand it did happen. The reason why it's so crazy and significant is because it doesn't happen. Um I, I, I would be in favor of something like you know, of, of an arrangement like that, but again, uh, 
Good luck on trying to sell uh, Mr. Silver about that, Commissioner Silver, on that one. Yeah, money does talk, unfortunately, in some situations. Yeah. So starting with last year's Western Conference champs, I suppose, since they are off to the best start of the playoffs, which isn't really a surprise, mm-hmm. seem a little bit no. better than last year, a little bit better than when they actually won the title, now with Kevin Durant. Even though their depth isn't what it once was, and we're talking about the Golden State Warriors for people that might not know, it seems like they're on an easy track to the conference finals once again. Looking ahead, do you think that there's a team in the Western Conference that can slay this beast? Can, potentially, yes. Uh, If the circumstances were, you know, were, were, were... We're absolutely perfect, meaning that you know, like you, you, you have a team like the like the Spurs or the Rockets. They just come out hot as can be, and they're able to maintain it over the course of seven games. Yes, of course it's possible. The trouble is that rarely happens, and by rarely, it, it doesn't. So, look, I went into the year saying Golden State was going to win this if they were healthy. I still feel the same way. You never know because you know last year's playoffs you know definitely showed us if you know, you know once Steph went down early in that opening round series it was a completely different you know it was a it, it was a struggle all the way through to the point where they were down three they were actually down three one in the Western Conference Finals before you know OKC I, I don't want to say they collapsed but they did um, <laughs> before they were able to pull it out and and come from behind and beat OKC. Uh, so you, you, you never want to, of course, I'm not wishing injury upon any player. You never want to see it, but because the, you know, because there's always, that could always be the case. I won't say it's, it, you know, I won't say it's impossible. I just don't see a team beating them four times. To add to that health discussion, unfortunately, how big of an impact do you think it would have should Steve Kerr not be able to return to the sidelines with the back ailments that he's been dealing with? One of the things I like about the way Steve Kerr uh, appears to handle his business is it's you know all hands on deck. Everybody is you know kind of involved. Obviously, he's the guy. So you know, when it comes to a final decision, you know he he would he he's generally the one that would make that. But I I, I like the fact that he you know, he seems to empower not just his players but his coaches that that he has with him on the bench. I'm not going to sit here and matter at all because of course you, know, you take away anything that was a constant <laughs> there's going to be there's going to be a necessary adjustment but while a lot of people may not you know maybe you know, a lot of people out here in Los Angeles in particular may not have the highest of uh of uh, opinion about Mike Brown personally the reality is he's a former coach of the year he's a guy that's been you know he, uh, he coached a team to the finals and he's a guy that's been around the game for a long period of time so I think they'll be okay. Uh, I would hate that for you know for Steve Kerr's you know, sake, but I think they would be okay as long as as long as those players are all healthy and and they're okay. Obviously, with uh, you know with the direction that Mike you know that that, that Mike uh, Brown is given, I don't see an issue. Sticking in the West and dealing with the Oklahoma City Thunder before talking about their series with the Houston Rockets, how impressed were you? going back to the regular season by what Russell Westbrook was able to do in this record-setting year, setting the triple-doubles record and seemingly on his way to an MVP. I was incredibly impressed. And it, it, it was to the point where I wasn't, I won't say I was actively frustrated, but I was definitely annoyed by a lot of the, 
the narrative that was going to kind of the anti-Russ narrative this season. Because to a certain degree, it's like, you know, what do you want this guy to do? They, you know, he's on a team that was constructed to have both him or both himself and Kevin Durant, obviously one of the best players in the league, <laughs> like on it. They lost him overnight. It wasn't like they had much of an opportunity to adjust. They weren't able to, you know, it, it isn't like, uh, like they say in Houston's situation where, where I was going to mistakenly say Sam Presti, but where Daryl Morey has had several years in order to kind of build this roster around James Harden, and he definitely had this off season in order to you know build it you know, build it up even more. This is the same, basically the same team that they had, you know, obviously you know with the draft picks as well, uh, you know, with KD. So the fact that he's able to have this type of season and able to you know and able to get OKC into the playoffs and not just barely, you know, well into the playoffs, uh, I, I just don't understand how anybody can question that. You know, like the whole thing about oh his big men are letting him rebound and this that and the other. Look, you can you know you you can you can squeeze in any way you want. What it, at the end of the day, what shakes out is one of the greatest season, individual seasons that we've seen from a player, at least over the last 30 to 40 years. We don't officially know, as we're talking, who's going to win this Houston and Thunder series, though it seems like it'll be next to impossible for the Thunder to be able to win this in seven games, having to eventually come back to Houston if they were to win. Was this surprising to you at all, just seeing that the depth of the Rockets was able to outlast Russell Westbrook, what he's able to do. They just have a little bit more firepower than the Thunder have and can get other shots from someone other than James Harden. Yeah, you hit it on the head right there. No, it wasn't necessarily surprising. Although, you know, I love what Russ has, what, what, uh, excuse me, what Russ has done this year. You, you knew that kind of had a shelf life in terms of once you get in against a team that either – could really hone in and limit what he, how his effectiveness, or uh, you know, just had you know more firepower. Uh, you you, you kind of knew you know that, that this would be the outcome. At the end of the day, if Houston ends up winning this and you know and, and finishing it off in five, I won't necessarily be surprised. And and again, that's a testament to Daryl Morey and the work that he did over the last couple off seasons, but especially this past one. They've got four or five guys that can really that can really hurt you on a, at a given on a given night. And the fact that they were able to go out and get Lou Williams when you know he was dangling out there for you know a, a good two months. Uh, you know, to come off their bench, and, and you know, he's a guy that he can give you 20 to 25 off the bench on a given night. You know, the fact they were able to do that, that just solidified the, you know, the, their chances in this postseason, in my opinion. So even if the Los Angeles Clippers can make it past the Utah Jazz, I'm guessing this is still yet another year that Chris Paul and co. won't be able to make it out of the second round? You know, uh, I, people think I'm joking when I say this, I feel for the Clippers. I, I actually do because it seems it like well, I don't know why I'm saying it seems like every single year they either break down, uh, you know, either one or both of their main guys, you know, tend to break down. And you know, part of that you, you can you can you if you really want to do a deep dive, you can say, well, you know, you know, look at the impact of the of the of the minutes throughout the year, and 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 because they're so top heavy, you know, they're putting it. I don't care what the reason is. It's unfortunate. I would, you know, Chris Paul. For a lot of folks out there that don't necessarily you know, that haven't seen like the history of the game, I- I- I've watched the the NBA for a good thirty five years now. Chris Paul 
is one of the best point guards I've ever seen in my life. One of the best. I'm saying top five right now. So the fact that you know we may honestly see a career, a top, a, a potentially top five at a position career, never even qualify for the you know for the a conference finals. That's kind of frustrating to me. I, I like you know I'm sure I'm sure we would get to it if I'm Chris Paul and they go out in you know, like either in this first round or the second round again. I'm looking. I have to evaluate that this summer. I absolutely have to evaluate that this summer when he has the opportunity to be a free agent. Would he be top three if he was wearing yellow and purple? I mean, how disappointing is it still that that never ended up panning out? Oh no, 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 no. Hold on. Here's the thing. I'm not like while I live in Los Angeles and obviously growing up here, you know, if you, if you were if you were a basketball fan, you were paying a lot of attention to the Lakers. Uh, I have no problem acknowledging, you know, another player's greatness. <laughs> um, the only reason why I kind of qualified it with the top five is because then you, you hear all types of people. Oh, I think Chris Paul's probably the third best point guard of all time. But uh, you know, there's when it comes to lists, you know, there's always oh, well, what about this guy? What about that guy? And it's not like you're, you know, it's not like you mean any disrespect or you're, you're intending to slight the guy. You, you know, when when you make a top three or a top five, you just can't get everybody in there. But no, no, no. It, uh, just to be clear, I'm not. I'm not discounting Chris Paul's uh, greatness by any stretch. Just because he's wearing, you know, uh, Clippers colors or whatever they are. Oh, I. <laughs> I just wanted to look under the band aid from when that trade didn't go through and see if the wound still hurts after I poked it, and it does. So I just wanted to see if <laughs> if it was still fresh. It still is. I don't know uh, when that's going to heal up, but unfortunately, that's that's one that stings a little bit. So previewing a little bit moving forward, how exciting do you think that Houston Rockets San Antonio Spurs series will be? Harden going up against Kawhi Leonard and those two guys trading punches, which bench will provide the bigger health and the depth. How do you see that series going should we get to that point? I think I think what the, your uh, final comment your last comment about the bench and the in the supporting cast in general I think that's going to be the determining factor in the, in this series. So here's the thing. You got Kawhi, you got James Harden. I'm not saying they're going to offset one another because I do think that James I do think that Kawhi can prop can you know potentially uh you get the better of that matchup. Um but even if say you know James plays him evenly or or slightly outplays him, what are they going to get from the other guys? If Eric, you know, like if 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 San Antonio, if obviously if Greg Popovich can't come up with a way to slow down that that you know that that the offensive arsenal, you know, that Houston has, they're going to be in trouble. Um, you know, they're not going to be able to get past them with zero points and, you know, uh, minimal contributions from Manny Ginobili as they've gotten in this opening series. They're not going to be able to beat them with, if Danny Green can't hit shots. They're not, you know, so it's really going to be about if, you know, you know, can the, you know which team is going to out-execute the other and which supporting cast is going to give the most consistent effort. And the most consistent, you know, you know, production. Moving over to the East, another year of trying to nitpick LeBron James's accomplishments <laughs> with the Cleveland Cavaliers. This year it was well, they swept the Pacers in the opening round, but the margin of victory over those four games was only sixteen. Should we put any onus into that, or was this just a matter of when they needed to turn it on, they did? And it really looked like this year, and even last 
we're starting to see LeBron really shoulder the weight when it comes to having to take over the games, maybe a little bit more than we have in the past several years. Yeah, he, okay, so this is the thing with that. Like, I don't want to come across as though I'm nitpicking because I'm not. Because, like, I always tell people, I actually just had this conversation at work when someone said, like, hey, do you think they have a chance? I said, if LeBron James is on the court, he's got a chance. Like, let's just stop. Stop with, stop with the silliness. Stop with the, like, oh, the, no. If LeBron James is on the court, you have a chance. I watched that man turn into Terminator Braun over the last four games of that, or three games of that series in the finals of last year. Uh, so, yeah, you know, like, and, and, and what I mean by that is he's always been incredible, but he played like an all-time great over those last three games. So, that said, part of me wonders, are they the 2010 Lakers or the 2011 Lakers? And what I mean by that is, you remember that? I'm sure you remember the 2010 Lakers. They were kind of at the, you know, obviously they had been to the finals three consecutive, you know, three consecutive years. They had, they, they gave everything they had to get, you know, to, to finish things off in seven games, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in that defeat over, over Boston. It looked like, you know, it, of course it felt great at that point, but you at least looked at it and said, there's a lot of, there's a lot of age on this team and this might be their last run. And obviously in 2011, they showed that where throughout the regular season they had some they, they had some you know some some good stretches. In fact, they even had an eighteen and one or eighteen and three stretch, if I'm not mistaken, following the you know following the uh, the All Star break that year. But when it came down to it, they 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 finally ran into that buzzsaw, and that buzzsaw was you know was the Dallas Mavericks, obviously the eventual champion there. So this isn't to say that they can't win it, but part of me feels like as currently constituted. With with a lot of the, the you know, those older veterans that they brought in, this might be that last run. They're going to have to you know like kind of reconfigure things after this, in my honest opinion. Did you predict that losing Rajon Rondo would be what would potentially lose the series for the Chicago Bulls against the Boston Celtics? Because that seems to be where the trend is headed. With him down, they really haven't had any answers so far, even being at home. Yeah, you know, uh, I didn't predict it, but I will say this. Rondo certainly looked better than Wade did the, so far in these playoffs. And that's, you know, one of the things that I didn't like about the, you know, the way the, the Bulls were made up is I thought that they were built for a playoff series, but definitely not the regular season. So, like, I didn't think they were even going to make the playoffs. In fact, they almost didn't. Obviously, if I'm not mistaken, they got in, like, within the last week of the sea of the regular season. Uh, but... Uh, the reason why I did like them was because I liked the, the fact that they get you know Hoiberg could throw Rondo and Wade and Butler at you know at perimeter at opposing perimeter players. Um, you know that that you know that, that was something that I was looking forward to. Now all of a sudden it's the Jimmy Butler show because Wade hasn't been able to hold up his end of the bargain. You know it would it would be one it, at least if Rondo were there. And able to distribute, and able to, and able to defend, and able to put, you know, apply pressure uh, along the perimeter. Uh, you know, he would have a running mate. Right now, it, you know, th- th- this is just uh, it's it's disappointing. And and again, of course, you can't predict injuries. It could be, and injuries are a part of professional sports. They just are. Uh, but it's just disappointing when you, when they happen, especially at this time, because it did. I, I you know. I would have gotten this prediction wrong because I picked the Celtics in the series, but I don't think they would have beaten them if Rondo had, if Rondo had remained healthy. Is there a team you think has the best shot to knock Cleveland out before they would get to the finals, whether that might be Toronto in the next round or somebody at the top of the bracket that would meet them in the Eastern Conference Finals? Uh, that's a tough one because 
I think John Wall is the one player that could give them the most difficulties because, quite frankly, uh, Kyrie's not guarding him. Uh, so that would mean that, you know, that, that would mean that, that it, it would be that much more of a hassle for LeBron. Uh, obviously they wouldn't have him on them for the entire game, but in key stretches and in key moments, he would definitely have to, st- it, it would be likely that he would have to step over there. Um, but the trouble is, you know, you're then asking, okay, so Bradley Bill, you had a good, you had, you definitely had a good year. Can you do it? You know, can you do it against, against the Cavs? Uh, can, you know, guys like Otto Porter Jr. And, and all those other guys, they would all have to step up and play the best they could possibly play right now. They, I'm not even certain if they're going to get past Atlanta, and I definitely, I definitely picked them in, you know, in that series. Um, it, it's tough. It's really tough. I'm not a believer in Toronto. Uh, I mean, no offense by that. You know, I actually like the Raptors. I like, I like them. I like Demar Derozan. You know, I, I, I always wish good, positive things on, you know, for Kyle Lowry. Having seen him go from a, you know, a reserve player on Houston's bench and working his way up to being, you know, at least considered one of the top point guards in the league today. Um, but I just don't, I, I'm just not a believer in them. So the answer to that question is, I think the Cavs are coming out of the East. I just think that once they get out of the East, it's going to be, it's going to be tough to beat. It's going to be tough to beat which, whichever of the Western conference teams comes out. I was going to say to hash this out, it appears we're headed toward a part three of golden state Cleveland in the finals assuming that Golden State is able to handle its business, which I think will benefit them where they are in the bracket. I think there'll be a bigger battle at the bottom of the bracket. If Houston and San Antonio have to go at each other, that's going to be quite the battle, and then they're going to have to try and reboot and beat the Golden State Warriors. It just seems like we're on that collision course to get yet another rematch in the finals and then I guess it would be anybody's game, uh, assuming everyone stays healthy. It, it would at least be very exciting to say that. Yeah, I, I wanted it before the season. You know, obviously when they, I wanted it regardless of whether they got Kevin Durant, but once they got him, I was like, okay, yeah, I want to see that. I definitely want it, especially since, for one, historically we've never seen it. We've never seen three, uh, uh, two teams face each other three consecutive years in the NBA Finals. Um, you know, so I, I'm all for the history being made. And uh, plus, I want them both to be healthy again, so we can get that true rubber match. But you know, let, you know, show me what you got. You know, you, you, are those guys on Cleveland? Are you know, can Darren Williams step up? Can J.R. Smith, you know, you find his range? Can you know, Kevin Love, uh, you know, you know, pull a rabbit out of his hat and you, you know, become the best defender in the league uh, at least for one play, <laughs> like he did last year. Um, yeah, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't laugh at, at Kevin because to be honest with you, Kevin actually had a great season this year. It, it goes. It goes unnoticed a lot of times as the third guy on a team with obviously with LeBron James, the best player in the world, and as well as Kyrie, as well as Kyrie Irving. But Kevin actually had a great, a great year. But what it's really going to boil down to, to me, really, is if if Golden State, and I know I, I'm just reiterating this, but if Golden State is healthy, I just don't see you beating them four times this year. I'd love to be wrong. Show me, show me a great series. Show me, show me Terminator Braun again. And I guess there's no way we can argue that if they do indeed meet again for the third consecutive year in a row, this is a rivalry. This is the closest thing we've gotten to those magic bird days, those Michael Jordan versus the world days, even the Utah Jazz. If they meet three times, it's never happened before. You have to deem that probably the best rivalry that we have going. It's absolutely a rivalry. Folks can act. I, I don't understand, you know, why you know, certain guys are like, "Oh no, it's not," or they want to poo-poo it. Look, 
We see what happens when they face one another. They get up for one another. I'm talking about regular season games. They get up for one another like they're playing in a playoff game. When they fight, when they face each other in the finals, come on, man. You, you and I both know what that expression look. You know, we said when, we, and I'm talking about in last year's finals when LeBron blocked, you know, Curry by the baseline and then turned and looked at him. You, you, he's not doing that if, if he doesn't see you as a rival. You know what I mean? He, he's not taking the time to show you up and let you know, like, yeah, I'm still that guy if he doesn't see you as a threat. So, yeah, you know, whatever other people want to call it, that's a rivalry, and I can't – I'm really hoping – I can't wait to see uh, the third installment of it. The last one before I let you enjoy the rest of these NBA playoff games, since you are in the West Coast and don't get very tired because of how late these games are on, When it comes to that matchup, if we were to see the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors meet up for a third time, does one team have more to lose than the other in a literal sense if they were to lose the series? Because, of course, the LeBron haters will come out and look at his overall finals record. And on the side of the Warriors, people will rip on Kevin Durant for leaving the Oklahoma City Thunder and not being able to get it done with Golden State. Does somebody stick out more as to which team has the most to lose, should they? That's a great question. And, and, and again, thanks for having me on today, man. It's been a lot of fun. I appreciate it again. Obviously, you hit it on the head. LeBron, if they lose, what, what will that make him? Three and, 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 and five, three and six, whatever. Uh, so, of course, people are going to have – or three and five, maybe three and five. I don't know. People are going to have something to say because people like saying negative things about LeBron James, okay? Uh, that said – Golden State has more to lose because not only will that mean they didn't, you know, they didn't win last year after going seventy-three and nine, but they weren't able to do it also after pulling off the heist of the heel, you know, the heist of the summer, the heist of the, you know, of this decade, uh, in 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 prying, you know, Kevin Durant away from OKC. So with all of those expectations, uh, especially because they've been so dominant, you know, or they've looked so dominant when intact, uh, I think. Even though they both have something to lose, I think Golden State probably has a little bit more to lose. Not that it would be all devastation, you know. Not not that they'd be all devastated after the fact, but it definitely uh, it definitely wouldn't be a good look, you know. Especially since I think that they would be the favorite. You sure you can't pull some strings for us East Coast guys and get those West Coast games like the Warriors on a little bit earlier for us? Sorry, my man. We 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 just get out. We we we're just getting out of work when you guys are laying to go, laying down to go to bed. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I can't see you guys complaining coming out with the sun still up and getting to watch some basketball over dinner while we're struggling to keep going. But thankfully, I'm a night owl or however you want to view that, so it's not too big of a deal. I'm fine with staying up as late as need be. And what it comes down to with the Warriors is they usually put the game away by the half. So you can really get to bed early if that's a problem. There you go. The war, the war, you see the Warriors, they care. You remember those old school NBA cares commercials? That's right. The Warriors care about you. That's why they're going to go ahead and blow out a lot of teams. Well, Jabari, thanks so much for dropping by and talking about the NBA playoffs. It was a pleasure to get some of your insight, especially about some of the writing that you do. And I'll definitely let people know where they can find your work, especially once next season starts. Always a pleasure to read. I hope that segment comes back. And it was great getting to talk about what's been going on. I'm sure there's going to be very exciting series coming up. And we can't complain once the NBA finals get here. 
Very far down the road, it seems. Once June rolls around, we'll finally get some of that decided. But thanks again for coming on. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. My pleasure. Again, I appreciate the invitation. And if we do bring that article back, uh, well, I'll shamelessly plug it now. Uh, if we bring the shop back, I definitely got to get you in as a guest so you can have, you know, have some fun with us. Well, I'll have to practice until we get up to that point. Cause you guys are seasoned when it comes to the shop. I, I don't know. I've never been in that it, situation, so I'll have to practice it, a little it, bit, it, but we got time. Just take a seat in the chair. I'll hook you up with a nice fade, man. We got you. Perfect. No, no uh, worries. I'm very tall. So you're going to have to jack the seat up a little bit, but that's all right. We'll figure it out. Hey, I'll stand on the box, man. We got you. Don't worry. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this show and all previous shows over on my website at londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at London Bridge. You can find The Bridge on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast. There you'll find the newest episodes of The Bridge every Friday night. And please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review as well. In the next installment of The Bridge, we'll continue to take a look around the NBA playoffs, dive into some more Major League Baseball, and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On The Bridge keeping you connected with all things sports.